0: What's up, y'all? Welcome into Talking Football. I'm your host, Philip Jordan. Thanks for checking out the show and making it a part of your day. what a weekend of football we had this past weekend. You had, of course, the national championship game between Clemson and LSU, where LSU won 42-25. to Just great season for LSU. Congrats to them for what they did. And just a historic offense, historic season for LSU Tigers. And then you also had, even in the NFL, the division round, a lot of storylines coming out of there. We're going to talk about all of it today. Bill Bender will be on in just a few moments. We're going to break down with him the national championship game and look at where both teams will go moving forward. Fantastic conversation we'll have with Bill Bender. As we do every year. After the National Championship game, a day or two, I have him on the podcast. This will be the fourth year in a row we have done this. So I always look forward to getting Bill Bender's analysis of the National Championship game where he was at covering it for the sporting news. Then we're actually going to jump to a little NFL conversation with Brent Sobleski from Bleacher Report, but also with Brent, big NFL draft guy, and I'm really a big fan of the NFL draft as well, probably more so than I am recruiting. We're going to talk about Joe Burrow and Tua, with their draft analysis coming up. So you get a little FC flavor there. Then we'll jump into previewing the AFC and NFC championship games as well. So loaded show here for you this week. We're going once a week. Try to do it on Wednesdays. A longer podcasts will be coming your way. But fantastic football conversation here on this week's edition of the podcast. But before we get into all that, I'm going to let you guys know where you can find me and the podcast. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at p jordan radio you can find a podcast on facebook and twitter the twitter handle is still at talking sec pod because yes it's just talking football but sec football is always at the top of the menu here on this podcast you can find a podcast on apple Podcasts, google play spotify soundcloud stitcher wherever you find your podcast you can find the show please check it out and if you're on apple Podcasts, please subscribe rate and review Really appreciate it if you do that. Leave a review. I will read it on a future edition of the show. And make sure you check out all my work over at Last World College Football where I cover the Auburn Tigers and the SEC. And, of course, I am the in-studio producer for Dothan Woods Football on 96.9 The Legend. All right, everybody, joining me on the podcast first to break down the LSU 42-25 to 25 victory over Clemson for the National Championship is Bill Bender from the Sporting News. And, uh, Bill, as always, I appreciate you taking the time out, coming on the podcast, and uh, once again coming on another year to break down the National Championship game.
1: Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It was an exciting week. It's uh, always good to get into it. And, uh, well, yeah, let's just let you play it away.
0: Yeah, so first of, just uh, how, how was how was New Orleans leading up to the game? How was the energy level there? Well, it's always high. It was a fun time.
1: Um, you know, a lot of the atmosphere for the game was off the charts and, and to be expected. So, yeah, it was an awesome time. Uh, obviously, got into the game, and it was an LSU partisan crowd, but not by as much as I thought. I mean, Clemson's fans turned out for that game as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, which you know, you were there, and I'm just watching off TV. I was kind of expecting, even from the TV version, you know, of the game to kind of hear more of a LSU crowd. They did not come across, at least for me, on television as loud as I thought they would be. It did sound like there was, you're right, like there was more Clemson fans there. So I guess that's how it actually was inside the stadium.
1: Yeah, I mean they 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 turned out. I mean that's a defending national championship program. That's traveled to a lot of big venues, and so I guess it shouldn't surprise us too, too much. But certainly uh, a good showing by them in terms of the crowd. And, you know, in the first half, they showed up as a team. They were uh, jump out to a 17-7 lead, played very well in that stretch, and just didn't get it, you know. They ran into a team that got hot. Uh, Joe Burrow in particular got hot, and that's what ended up turning the tide there in the second quarter.
0: Yeah, early on in the game, it really looked like Clemson – was giving Joe Burrow some trouble. Uh, a little like maybe they were going – and I always look at now when I watch LSU play versus the Auburn game because who – does it, does anybody try to use the Auburn strategy, three defensive linemen, stuff like that? But they were really putting a lot of pressure on Joe Burrow early. Uh, from what you saw, what did LSU do to combat that? Was it just about hitting some plays, or did they change anything up from what you could see to combat what Clinton was doing to give them trouble in those mm-hmm. first couple possessions? Well, they
1: took some deep shots, and that loosened everything up over the middle. I mean, once they hit the one to uh, Jamar Chase there, it kind of changed the momentum in a lot of ways. And then, then Joe Burrow again, if they left the middle open, he exposed that. He exploited that, and he'd, he'd go run. He had some very big plays with his legs in this game. So, yeah, I think it's something that uh, he's a guy that, that, that they just made the plays. And then Joe Burrow again showed how much of a difference it makes when you, when you have a mobile quarterback that can do that. And he was able to effectively do that against that Clemson defense and, and kind of took Isaiah Simmons out in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was extremely impressed by him, especially the first half. It seemed like when Clemson was playing really well defensively early, he was all over the place.
1: Yeah, Isaiah Simmons is also a football player. And, uh, you know, when he they were giving – LSU trouble. And a lot of those came on the drives where they were able to punt and pin and pin that LSU beef or offense back in their own territory. And essentially, but once they were outside the twenties, you know, it was either the big plays by uh, Clyde Edwards, the some of those things that would get the, the defense going. And uh, again, they just, Joe Burrow was able to make the plays. Joe Brady's design was great. I mean, obviously both guys are leaving, but um, certainly just a well-executed game plan by them all the way through.
0: You know, and just watching Joe Burrow this season, and I'd like to get your take on. You know, see him in a person, but on television, just watching him play, a lot of the throws he makes, especially these bigger games the last few weeks, even against Oklahoma, I noticed this. There's a lot of throws he makes. The receiver, it's not like he's. 10, 15 yards wide open, there's a defender there. His ability to put the ball right where it needs to be is very impressive, and that's, I know that's got to be, that's a big reason why everybody's so excited about what he can do at the next level, but just some of the throws he's able to make, I mean, they're, they're just beautiful passes. Yeah, it's
1: going to serve well at the next level because he can make, he can extend plays. You always hear quarterbacks talking about extend plays. Well, he did that a couple of times, and, uh, you know, his ability to see what the defense takes, or take what the defense gives him, and it's and a cliche and everything, but, he gives, He does that. He's accurate um, on the move. He can make plays. I mean, even the, one of his first passes in the game, it got called back because there was an illegal guy downfield, but Clemson had him hum, hemmed up. He breaks loose, throws a deep one to Thaddeus Moss. I just think his accuracy is what stood out in that game. And, and, again, his ability to extend plays. I mean, the play of the game was at third and ten, no timeouts left, and he takes a uh, draw up the middle down to the red zone and then throws a touchdown on the next play.
0: Yeah, that that was a big possession, I think, in the game, in the grand scheme of things when you really look at the way the game was going. I mean, I know Clemson got within twenty eight, twenty five second 28-25 second half, but third 19 on that last possession, that pass interference call, that was big because, you know, who knows what happens in the game if Clemson doesn't have that penalty called on. They get to stop. There was enough time for them to go down the field. It was 21-17, so I, I really feel like that was a real pivotal moment in the game.
1: Yeah, it was. And, you know, Clemson had their chances. 20-25, they, they had the ball, um, down 20-25, and, and they couldn't quite finish. Um, you know, so I think it was a good game. and But you got to give credit just to this LSU offense. It's a one-of-a-kind offense. You know, Joe Burrow's shattered records. Shattered some really you know, age-old college football records, and you know you got to consider it. I mean, it's right there with Cam Newton as arguably the greatest season by a quarterback of all time. I would probably put it ahead of Cam Newton just because you know, we're talking about a guy through sixty touchdowns and never had an off night.
0: Mm-mm. You're talking about Burrow too, and what's incredible to me, because usually with quarterbacks, you just don't see a huge jump in this stat, and that's the completion percentage. I mean, his completion percentage last year was at 58%. This year, at 76%. I mean, that's, that's the number that really sticks out to me a lot when I look here, you know, look at Joe Burrow, the fact that he was able, and I know Joe Brady's offense also has something to do with it too, but that improvement in that element of his game, because there's a lot of games, you watch them, whoever they're playing, he's like complete 80% of his passes, so that was an incredible improvement he made from last season with LSU to this season.
1: Oh, for sure, yeah, I mean, obviously, and then that offense where he was able to read and react and and make that, you're, you're exactly right, that's one of the more... Amazing stats. To me, I guess the one is that producing over 1,000 yards of offense in two playoff games. And when you consider we watched Deshaun do that, and it, it just blows that away that, that he was able to get that many yards in, in that kind of situation. It's, it's just an incredible stretch. And then the thing I think we talked about before the game, he didn't have an off night all year. That's what mm-hmm. surprised me is he just didn't have that off game that sometimes quarterbacks have. Mm-hmm. He was consistent the whole way through the season.
0: Yeah, even the Auburn game where they were held to 23 points, Auburn didn't hold them down yards-wise. LSU still had over 500 yards of total offense right there at it, I believe. And then I know Burrow threw for over 300. So even in that game, LSU's worst offense performance this year, they still didn't really have a bad game.
1: Uh, They were great all season. And, uh, you know, it it transpired in the playoffs. And that's why we're getting them in all these conversations about are they the greatest team ever is, this the greatest offense ever is, Row, the greatest QB ever and, and they're all legitimate discussions at least on that one year I mean man an outstanding football season uh an offense that led it doesn't even often Kevin Turner told me this after the game the Arkansas SID doesn't have an often that you have the national championship and the Heisman Trophy and there's no debate about it either and I think this is one of those rare seasons where that's the case
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, seven wins versus teams that were in the top 10 all year. I mean, just the, the resume. I mean, it's going to be hard. I, you know, looking at this right now, I mean, we're coming off this from Monday. It's hard to really compare anybody else to, I mean, that resume itself just lends itself greatest, you know, team all time. And like you said, they didn't have a bad game. Sometimes you look at these national championship winners year in, year out. There's that game where they didn't play well, but they just found a way to win. Maybe offensively they weren't there defensively, but LSU it's just pretty much all year long, just great season uh, for them. And just you know, I want to look on the other side. I think Clemson for me, kind of. I guess I was shocked with what with Trevor Lawrence. He was eighteen of thirty seven, two thirty four, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but all the overthrows. It just it looked like at times. Maybe the LSU defense, or maybe the moment was getting to him. From what you saw, what was going on with Trevor Lawrence in this game?
1: He was just, he was missing on third down. That was the difference from last, this year to last. I mean, last year he hit all those third downs against Alabama. He hit over 250 yards on third down alone. And then this year he's two of 10 for 20 yards on third down. And when you're that rough on a money down, yeah, thing, bad things are going to happen. So, um, I think he's fine. I mean, obviously, if you take any starter and you say, "Hey, you're going to be twenty-five and one," you might lose that last one. Uh, no, I don't know anybody else who's not going to. That so yeah, I think he, he'll learn from it. The third downs, LSU did a good job of pushing him into third and longs, and he couldn't convert those, and that's a big reason why they were blown out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that th- third down is. I look at that's a stat I look at pretty much after every big game said who, who won third down because usually can tell you who won the game and for them going next next year of course Clemson they're, they're going more likely you have to feel like they're going to be in the spot again next season because I mean all the talent they got coming back him highly touted recruiting class coming in and look and you know, just be honest ACC there's not a, really a threat there to take them down in the ACC right now. But uh, other, you know, moving forward, I mean, what is something you could see with Clemson though, moving forward that could derail that? That could, you know, slow them back down a bit for next season.
1: Um, nothing. I mean, <laughs> they, they still they still check every box. They've got yeah. position players. I think their offensive line will be better. Defense will be more experienced, and they're bringing in a loaded defensive line class of a bunch of guys that should be able to improve the defensive line, if anything. So, yeah, I don't see that machine slowing down at all and you know I, they're kind of in the same spot alabama was alabama lost a lot of points last year and still had an 11 and two season so yeah i mean and i'm looking at early top 25s right now and i'm seeing clemson number one in just about all of them so i think they're okay
0: yeah speaking of that and that's kind of where i wanted to go to close this you know, for favorites for next week, and that's what we got to do Let like, you know as soon as the game's over we got to start talking about next season who's going to be the favorites clemson would it be our Ohio State after that, and uh, who are the, some of the other teams you're looking at for next season, you think, coming into it, are going to be the favorites to make the playoffs in the national championship?
1: Looks like a very similar, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma, Georgia, Florida, Oregon. That's probably like the field you're dealing with right now, and it uh, doesn't surprise me at all. So, yeah, I mean, it's more of the same. That's part of the problem with college football. There is a lack of – generally lack of – Teams that can actually do this. So, yeah, I think if you look at these early top 25s you you're going to see a lot of the names. But what jumps out to me is that the faith in Clemson isn't isn't going away. Oregon and Penn State are kind of the two teams to watch, though. That maybe they are actually ready to break through.
0: Yeah, you know, even talking about LSU, and this is where I close with. And you mentioned this early, Joe Brady. Of course, he's moving on. He's going back to NFL to be the offense coordinator for the Panthers. Joe Burrow is leaving. They're going to lose talent there. Uh, any concern with that for you with LSU going forward that maybe this was just a one-season deal or is this something you could see Ed Orgeron continuing for years to come?
1: Well, I mean, that's the big question we're going to have to find out. Um, yeah. Because they it's a high standard. They never It's like Cam and Auburn. You may never hit that standard again, but that doesn't mean you can't have success with guys mm-hmm. like Nick Marshall that, that had success. With guys like... You know, Jarrett Stidham, uh, even Bo Nix on some level. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's a thing. And I think, uh, you know, they, they'll have to get back at it like, like Ed said afterwards, but they're going to have to get back at it like everybody else. So, long way to go for, for that. But I think LSU obviously can have a lot of success next season.
0: Yeah, obviously, this success is not going to hurt recruiting, so they should. I could see you know maybe we can get a spike in it uh, when you see the success. They have, especially if, if they can run offense similar to what they had with Joe Brady there and uh, Bill. Uh, I told you this on top. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Uh, I know it's been a busy busy week for you with a national championship game and the season coming to a close. But all season long, I appreciate you taking time out, coming on the show, talking college football, and I'm sure we'll talk some here during the off season as well. But I do appreciate. You taking time coming on the show, and if the listeners want to follow online, where can they find you? And tell us about the work done over at the Sporting News.
1: Yeah, I'm at SportingNews.com at Bill Bender. And two. yeah, we had fun this season, and we'll, you know I'm sure we'll talk a lot in the off season. That's it's that kind of thing. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Philip, and uh, we'll do it again
0: soon. All right, sounds good, Bill. And once again, appreciate talk uh, you coming on the show, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime down the road. Hey, thank you. Everybody, now we're going to switch gears a little bit. Now we're going to talk some NFL, but we're also going to talk Joe Burrow and Tua and their draft analysis. Let's get Brett Sobleski from Bleacher Report on the line. Everybody joining me next on this week's podcast. I'm joined by Brett Sobleski, Bleacher Report NFL analyst and one of the hosts of the Pro Football Fire podcast. Brent, uh, we have not chatted in about two months, so it's good to he- uh, hear from you, and uh, thank you again for coming on the podcast.
2: No, absolutely my pleasure, and happy holidays to everyone. I know I'm a little late, but <laughs> if we didn't get to speak previously, I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas, Hanukkah, New
0: Year's, and everything in between. So, And that applies to you as well, good sir. Actually, I think the last podcast I dropped that you were in it was on Halloween. So that was the last uh, holiday we, uh, we did. Wow,
2: so, so thanksgiving in there as well, then.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's been a while. It's been a while. So, uh, of course, you know, the NFL playoffs are going on right now. So that's, that's the big thing with the AFC and NFC Championship games going on. Before we did that, because, like I said, I'm a big. NFL draft I'll, I'll enjoy the draft I know you're big into the NFL draft so I wanted to lead off especially with Monday night's national championship game we're just two less than two days removed from it LSU of course be- defeating Clemson 42 30 uh, 25 but Joe Burrow once again was awesome and of course he is projected most people believe that's who the Cincinnati Bengals are going to pick number one in this upcoming draft but for you what, what is your overall take on Joe Burrow and what kind of NFL quarterback he can be?
2: Now, Philip, I'm going to say this, and I don't want people to think I'm being hyperbolic or way over the top based on recency bias. Because of what we've seen throughout the postseason by Joe Burrow and his decimation of, of some of the better, <laughs> more talented teams in college football, he is, or at least shows, the best pocket presence, the best anticipation, The best ball placement I've ever seen from a quarterback prospect doing this for 15 plus years. And again, I'm not trying to oversell him by any means. I may actually be underselling him to a degree. And it just shows that he, in one year, the leap that he made from his first season at LSU, getting in the right system, really gaining his confidence and his voice and becoming a leader in that locker room how valuable being in the right situation is and that and that's really what it comes down to for any player no matter how talented you are i mean let's let's point to baker mayfield as a wonderful example he set an nfl record last year with 27 touchdown passes as a rookie this year complete flop and it's because it was a disaster with freddie kitchen it was a disaster with that coaching staff and he was never comfortable and he never established himself so being able to place a player in the right position to succeed is so vital to every single individual that plays this game and those who coach him and we saw that perfectly exemplified with joe burrow all the records he set, the heisman trophy he won basically it was the single greatest season in college football history
0: Yes, I will go there. Hey, there, there's been several people have said that about this season. I think the one that, and, you know, especially down here, s c c SEC country down here, the one season that I think people are using as the argument is 2010 Cam Newton. But at the same time with Joe Burrow, and, and I've was been I was talking to people about this week in and week out throughout the season, looking at LSU games the throws he makes, okay. Let's look at that Clemson and even Oklahoma game. I mean, everybody looks at the sixty three twenty eight win they had of Oklahoma as a blowout, but there were several times in that game and in the national championship game with Clemson, it's not like these his receivers are ten fifteen yards wide open down the field. There, there's defensive backs there. I mean, not great covers, but they're within distance of these receivers, and he is putting the ball where only his receiver can get it over his shoulder. In stride, I mean, that's something you do not see a lot of college quarterbacks able to do sometimes. That's something they develop once they get to the National Football League. But the fact he already has that, I mean, I come away with some of the throws he makes and his ability to throw on the run because he's probably going to do that more in the NFL because, look, look, better defenses, better athletes on that side of the ball. Just the stuff he's able to do is amazing. And, I, and something I wanted to ask you, for someone that's been covering the draft, analyzing this for several years – have you ever seen a guy do this, make this leap? Because last season, he was a 58% completion percentage passer, 16 touchdown passes. This season, 76%. Have you ever seen anything like this in your time covering NFL draft?
2: as drastic in that short amount of a time especially at the quarterback position no not off the top of my head i mean I, we could point to other positions where guys grew up and matured and became far more physically talented and and it resulted in much better play overall but the quarterback position is very different and i i think it harkens back to one thing and that's confidence because mm-hmm. if you look at joe burrow it's not like he wasn't talented he was a top recruit he set passing records here in the state of Ohio it's someone that that was certainly had the natural ability to play the position but did he have that confidence and that's where he seemed to be lacking now, now he's been he was placed in a position to where it allowed him to be who he was and I know those are the type of intangibles we don't like necessarily to discuss because we can't quantify them in a world where analytics are now the <clears throat> the catchphrase that everyone wants to talk about and, and and rightly so, but there's still so much about these individuals we don't know and you anyway, know to give you an example and this is the way I think of it and it's not necessarily quarterback to quarterback comparison but you mentioned how. The wide receivers weren't running wide open. He was still had to make those throws. Let's look at Trent Richardson at Alabama as an example. Do you remember mm-hmm. when he came out? How everyone oh, said yeah. he had gaping holes to run through. There was always behind this great, massive mauling offensive line. And I thought to myself, no, he shows the type of talent that I that, that should make him an elite prospect. You know, I was wrong about that because once he got to the NFL, he didn't have those obvious holes. And he didn't have the vision to slice his way through NFL defenses. That confidence was lost in a heartbeat. And so you see the exact opposite for someone that was that elite talented. And when he once he got to the professional level, now it's the opposite for Joe Burrow. Then he had to build himself up to become who he is today. And what he's going to become is the number one overall pick with no doubt whatsoever.
0: So, before we jump into the day of the NFC, I got another quarterback I want to talk about, and it's obviously in the state I'm at in Alabama, and that's Tua, which there was there were some rumors going around. People were thinking maybe Tua and some of the juniors come back next season, which I thought would have been a bad move by Tua to come back next season to get a chance to get hurt even more, and I think even have his stock drop even further, especially you know Trevor Lawrence will be in the next draft. So either way, you're, you're dealing with someone you're not going to be probably the first pick. But coming off the injury with Tua, just, I mean, I'm sure he you knows someone's going to draft him in the top 15. I'm pretty sure confident in that. But how much of a risk do you think there is there now with Tua with his injury history at Alabama?
2: I'll go a step further and say I'm pretty confident he'll be a top six selection. The one thing about his injuries. Uh, as we currently know them, is that they're not long-term. Yes, he's been dinged up, and he's been bruised and beaten up through multiple seasons now. But at the same time, there doesn't seem to be any long-term concerns. With his hip, we've already had reports and come out from his agent, Lee Steinberg, guess the famous Lee Steinberg, that he will throw, that he will be ready to perform in front of scouts, not at the combine, but before the draft, to show where he's at in his rehabilitation process and his ability to continue to play the position, which is a massive positive. Because even if he didn't uh, or wasn't able to get out in front of scouts, get out in front of teams, he was still likely going to be a top 15 selection, just based Mm -hmm. on his potential and medical evaluations at the combine, which will be vital to this entire process. Now knowing that he's going to be ready, at least partially, or healthy enough to throw in front of scouts. To me, it's an absolute lock. He's a top-ten pick. I don't even care how he throws. Just the fact that he's out there moving, showing that the hip is not going to be long-term damage. And when you look at how the draft itself sets up with Miami, at five, With Los Angeles Chargers at six. Now think what are are the New York Giants and Detroit Lions going to do at three and four, uh, respectively? Will they trade out of there so a team can get in front of the Miami Dolphins? so that they can't get their guys supposedly into us. So that's really, to me, where it's going to be absolutely fascinating in this year's draft because one and two are almost guaranteed locks. You can go to Vegas and probably make pennies on the dollar by betting that it's going to be Joe Burrow and Chase, Chase Young in the first. Chase Daniel. Yeah, Chase Young, <laughs> one and two overall. Then you get the three and things get interesting because Detroit doesn't need a quarterback. The Giants of Ford do don't need a quarterback. But they both will might potentially want to trade out of there because you have two quarterback star teams in the Dolphins and Chargers falling right behind them. So that's really where the drama is going to set in. And one of those picks at some point in that juncture is going to be two at Tagovailoa.
0: Yeah, and, you know, of course with him, everything, the one you always hear about is his quick release, how quick he gets the ball out, which he does. I mean, on them slants, I'll run it. There was no way to defend it. I mean, with those receivers and how fast he got the ball out. But beyond that, you know, we're talking about if he, you know he is right, healthy, you know, good to go. What else about Tua makes you think he could be a really good NFL quarterback?
2: Well, accuracy is always the first thing you always think about that because if you look at Tua, you even look at Joe Burrow, the arm strength on the two of them just. Raw ability to throw the ball with velocity is not elite. It's not on the same capabilities as, say, a Patrick Mahomes, as we've seen recently. It's not even quite to the level of Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray, the last two number one overall picks. But to be able to place the ball into tight windows consistently and without fear... That is something that often places top quarterbacks in the NFL level. you look at Tom Brady, you look at Drew Brees, I know they're older. You even look at Peyton Manning. None of those guys were driving the ball down the field consistently beyond 30 yards. So you have his precision and efficiency within the position, and that's really what makes him uh, so appealing to NFL offenses because you can rely on where he's going to place the ball. There's very few times this year, and I can point to one or two, but there's no reason to, where you know he's going to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. And that is what you want from the quarterback position. You want him to operate with your system and do so effectively. And if you s- start getting beyond that point where mistakes are made and just relying on natural talent, now you're veering into the Jameis Winston um, uh, end of the spectrum, and that's not exactly what you want for the position. You need someone reliable.
0: Oh come on, Bray! You don't want somebody that's going to be the second member of the thirty thirty club.
2: <laughs> you know what? It, it's so. But the
0: thing that bothers me
2: about it is you saw we saw this coming, right? And we yeah. knew the potential that was always there. But the same mistakes he made at Florida State are still being uh-huh. made.
0: Yeah, yeah and exactly.
2: Why invest long term, which Tampa Bay is still considering, in a quote-unquote franchise quarterback you cannot rely upon? And that is the first thing about playing the quarterback <laughs> position. You, At the bare minimum, you, you take what the defense gives you. It's beyond that point in your capabilities that really make you transcend the position. Jameis Winston can't transcend the position because you never know where the ball is going to go, whether it's going to be one of his own teammates or one of the defenders. And that's a, that is a horrible way to operate as a play caller because you just can't trust the man, uh, trust your trigger man.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's even some throws he makes Brett Forbes like. I wouldn't have made that throw, so. You know, it's just yeah, exactly. <laughs> now uh, the games this weekend, this Sunday, I'm going to start with the, the AFC and the Titans and Chiefs. And, and Brent, I just know you had the Titans making it this far, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, just like everyone else. I think I'm. We have to do our pre, or our weekly uh, against the spread predictions for Bleacher Report. I'm three, three, and one. So, woo! I, I am on top of things.
0: <laughs> you know, and this watching this Titans team and. Turnovers, I got to think, are going to be a big part for them to beat the Chiefs. I mean, that was the thing with the Ravens. Because the Ravens still put over 500 yards of offense on them. I mean, Lamar Jackson's put up yards. It was the turnovers, the... 0 for 4 on fourth down for the Ravens, that kind of stuff. And Derrick Hen- Henry just being a beast of a man that nobody can deal with. I mean, I, when I saw him stiff-arm or Thomas a couple of times, I'm like, okay, this is over with. This guy's on a tear. We have not seen before the running back position. Most yardage in the two-playoff span we have seen. So for the Titans, I mean, is, that, is basically going in this game trying to slow down the Chiefs offense going to be basically our offense is our defense?
2: Well, it is to a degree, but what I will give them credit for and what they've been able to accomplish against the New England Patriots and the Baltimore Ravens. So think about that for a second. Bill, the Bill Belichick Patriots and the best team in the NFL this year is the Baltimore Ravens. In back to back games, they out coached and outplayed both squads. And that is a testament to Mike Vrabel and that coaching staff and their preparation. And so to me, when you're facing Patrick Mahomes, you know what he's going to be capable of doing. And I recently compared what they did to Lamar Jackson to I don't know if you remember this Philip but the old Michael Jordan rule. You oh, know yeah. he's going to get his, just make sure no one else gets theirs. Mm-hmm. The and Jordan so rules. The Patrick George Mahomes Pistons. is very Yeah, exactly. So if you can do something eat those explosives in check at least downfield and not allowing chunk plays make them work for everything they do while simultaneously wearing out the Chiefs defense once you have Derrick Henry and that massive mauling offensive line on the field you have a chance now I will say this I still think the Chiefs should be favored I think they're a better overall team I think that they have more talent but I got a feeling based on the way the Titans play they could win, or if they don't, it's going to be much closer than people think, because I think the early spread on that game is like uh, 7.5 points in the Chiefs' favor. So I would expect it to be far more competitive than Vegas is saying. same, though so I still give a slight edge to the Chiefs.
0: Yeah, you know, when these two teams, which I was back in early November, on the 10th, Titans did win 35-32. And- Tannehill's got to throw for more than 100 yards in this game too, right? I mean, that's been the yeah. incredible thing too. In such an age where it's all about passing and you know, big yardage, there, this Titans team and I, know, I feel like this whole preview of the AC title game been focused on the Titans and the Chiefs are great. And I, I mean, honestly, I expect them to win. But it's really the Titans are just a throwback, and it's I just so enamored by what they're doing because they're doing everything opposite to what football is supposed to be now.
2: Well, it's smart. It's smart because you're taking that approach that people aren't necessarily prepared for. I mean, you can't prepare for six foot five or six foot four, 250 pounds, running a four point 40 yard dash and having them ram it down your throat. No one else can replicate that. You can't, you can't honestly prepare for it. And most defenders don't want to tackle Derrick Henry, especially in (laughs) open space. At the same time, they're doing the smart thing because they know that's their advantage. Look, Ryan Tannehill, for those who don't know, led the NFL in yards per attempt and quarterback rating this year. He can play the game. He mm-hmm. can specifically, as I mentioned earlier, he's finally in the right situation for his skill set. He's a perfect complement to what they want to do schematically. And he doesn't have to drive the ball down the field if Derrick Henry's dominating and the offensive line's winning consistently at the point of attack. They know they have an advantage here. But when that advantage isn't there, You do have a quarterback, one, that's athletic, and two, that has decent vertical uh, passing touch. And so you can capitalize on A.J. Brown. You can capitalize on Corey Davis. You can capitalize on tight end Johnny Smith, who can all create after the catch. And so while we haven't seen Tannehill do those things in the postseason, it's because he hasn't needed to. Not that he can't do it. And so that's where the real uh, differentiation is. Could occur in this particular contest because if the Kansas City Chiefs start loading the box and making sure that they do everything they can to win at the line of scrimmage, now watch Tannehill boot out and push it downfield and make that big play and allow AJ Brown to create after a catch and do the things that they've been doing all season. They just haven't showed yet in the postseason.
0: Yeah, it's, it's going to. Be interesting. I, I mean, I'm Sunday needs to hurry up and get here. I'm just, I'm just saying. Can't wait to see these two teams play. Now the other game, the NFC the two top two seeds, the 49ers and the Packers, which I have heard people, some people have said the Packers may be the worst two seed of all time. I don't agree with that uh, necessarily. But this matchup, and, and it's when I look at this matchup, for me, especially what I saw in the divisional round, way the 49ers up front on the offensive and defensive line, dominated against Minnesota Vikings, held in 21 yards rushing. And when I look at the Packers on their side, that's what they like to do now. That And that's what's interesting about this Packer team. They're not all about Aaron Rodgers. It's the running game with Aaron Jones. But my, th- my feeling is with this game – if the Packers have an issue with that running the ball, and then they don't have the great receivers all over the field like they used to. Devontae Adams is there, but after that is, you know, not different. There's a big drop off from him to the other receivers. And the Packers lost this game thirty seven to eight late November. So when you look at this matchup, is there a way you see the Packers could pull this upset over to forty ers or or the 49ers just going to be too much for the Packers to handle, especially on the defense side of the ball? When you look at
2: this contest, the differentiation for me isn't necessarily the offensive game plan orchestrated by Kyle Shannon. And it's not not the he, uh, first-year head coach um, with Matt LaFleur and the, uh, for the Green Bay Packers. <coughs> Excuse me. Nor is it Aaron Rodgers or Jimmy Garoppolo or any of the weapons that we can mention offensively. This is purely about what Mike Pettin does as a defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. One of the things when you look at historically with the zone-heavy offensive scheme, if you create disruption, if you are able to reset the line of scrimmage, it blows up the entire process. So will Mike Pettin come out very aggressive in his play calling with run blitzes, with zone dogs, with the ability to show exotic looks to throw the, the San Francisco 49ers off their game If he isn't capable of doing that, then the Packers are going to struggle. Because for all those names I mentioned earlier, when it comes to offensive playmakers, this Packers team is now built around its defense. So Darius Smith is a legit Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Preston Smith, a double-digit sack guy. Diary Alexander, a cornerback, is probably top three in his position in the league. They have good young safeties. This is a team built through their defense. It's no longer the Aaron Rodgers show. So it's going to be absolutely vital for their, for them to be to, to not allow the San Francisco 49ers to dictate what they do. And instead Mike Patton getting into all of his different looks that he's learned all over the, all over the years, whether it was with the, with Rex Ryan, the Buffalo bills or head coach of the Cleveland Browns and throw all of it and the kitchen sink at college hand and see what sticks.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that. I think the Packers. You know, I know a lot of people have that like I said that narrative that it's going to be tough. I, I think this game going to be. with you? Is I, defense is going to be key because Packers are really good on the defense side of the ball too. They can limit that run game for the 49ers. But uh, Brent, um, I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, I no, it's been two months since we talked, so uh, I hope that is not the case. Next time I, I talk to you here on the podcast, but I do appreciate you taking time out talking NFL draft about Tua and Burrow and the conference championship games for this weekend in the NFL. And if the listeners want to follow you online, where can they find you?
2: I just look me up on Twitter at Brent Sobleski, S-O-B-L-E-S-K-I. You can always follow my work at Bleach Report. And please download Pro Football Fire. We've had a little hiatus because of the holiday season, but we can be found on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere you can download your podcast so first of all go and download phillips and then next week when we're back on track on our normal schedule pick up pro football fire i'd greatly appreciate it
0: absolutely guys it's a great show you need to check it out and uh brent once again i appreciate you taking the time out coming on the show No, know it's a busy time but i look forward to talking to you again some time down the road
2: no thanks for having me enjoy the game this weekend
0: And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the podcast. Thanks again to Bill Bender and Brent Sobleski for joining me this week. A lot of good conversation on the National Championship game. Joe Burrow and Tua, their draft analysis from Brent, and also his analysis of this weekend's AFC and NFC Championship games in the NFL. So a lot of good football stuff to look at. Also this weekend, you've got the East-West Shrine game and the NFL PA Bowl. That will be going on. And then the following week, you have the Senior Bowl. So some big stuff there. The draft stuff is going to be happening. We talked about a lot here on this podcast. So we're going to talk heavy here in the off season because that's one thing that brings together college and NFL fans. The NFL draft. So we talk about that. Spring ball is coming up. So a lot of good stuff is coming up as we are winding down. College football season is over with. The NFL season is about to wrap up with the conference championships and of course the super bowl but there'll be plenty of football stuff to talk about in the off season so look forward to that like i said you got the two all-star games on saturday then you got the afc and nfc championship game on sunday if you're just an overall football fan if you're just a college football fan stay right here we we'll to have you covered all off season long with big news and we got to talk about some coaches too there's some coach movement in college football sec nfl all stuff so that's some also we talked about as we move toward the all-season coverage here on the podcast. Remember, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever you find your podcast. you can find the show. And please, if you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. really means a lot if you do that. Be back next week with some more great football audio content. Until next time, bye-bye.